fresh every Tuesday for MSPs around the world. Around the world. This This is Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast. Podcast. Hello, my friend, and welcome back to the show. Here's what we got in store for you this week. Hey, I'm Scott McCready with Soul Cyber. Can't wait to be on Paul's podcast to talk about how we raised $20 million to bring a new security service to the market. And on top of that fascinating interview with Scott later on in the show, we'll be talking about hidden price rises. Is there an opportunity coming up for you to put your prices up in the new year? Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast. Let's start this week's show talking about networking. And I'll avoid my usual joke of networking saying, I mean the one with people and not cables. But I do mean the one with people and not cables, because networking events, depending on your experience of them and whether you've ever done them before, networking events are either fantastic places for you to go and meet potential new leads, or they are sheer hell. The idea of them is torture. It's a torment for you, the thought of having to go out and do them. I've done my fair share of networking over the years. When I started my very first business in 2005, it was like a general marketing business. And I used to go out to all the networking events in a, in a, in a, a county called Northamptonshire in the middle of the UK. And uh, I went to literally every event that I could find. And then I joined BNI, which was great for a couple of years until it wasn't anymore. And over the years, I've had so many, you know, badly cooked breakfasts, got up at 5am to go to meetings, gone to evening meetings. It did win business, but then I found uh, really good marketing and I I got really good at marketing and and, uh, particularly B2B marketing. And suddenly networking was just one little thing that we did. It, It was no longer the thing that we relied on. But for many MSPs, networking is a big thing. And we did a whole uh, subject on this back in episode 179. So if you want to dive into networking and why you should be doing it, go and re-listen right now or listen for the first time to episode 179. Now, the reason I want to mention it here in this episode is because I was recently talking to an MSP, happened to be here in the UK. It's someone I'm working closely with, but I've only known closely for about six months. And they have utterly gone for networking like like almost as if there was nothing else and there is actually lots of other marketing that they're doing but they have a full-time marketing resource in the business and that person has decided if I'm going to do networking I'm going to do networking properly and I've got some stats that they gave me just a few weeks ago when we had a catch-up call so they attended uh where is it Uh, they did eight separate events So they are in London, here in the UK, and there are a lot of networking events. And I think eight events was actually, you know, a a fairly small number, but that was across a two week period. So for two weeks, they went to eight separate events. I'm not quite sure if they are figuring on doing that regularly. That seems like a, a hell of a cadence, doesn't it? To go to, I guess that works out at four events a week. Maybe that's overkill. Maybe you wouldn't find that many events in your area. But that's what they did. Initially, they went to eight different events and their goal was to go there and meet as many new people as possible, have some kind of meaningful conversation with them. So they went to these eight events. Out of these eight events, they got three hot leads. And I pushed them and said, right, what does that mean, that three hot leads? Three hot leads uh, is where they've had a conversation with someone which has ended with an exchange of business cards and diarising, hey, great, I'm going to give you a call uh, tomorrow morning, 9.45, or whatever is the case. So that hot lead is someone that could go on to do business with them. There's an opportunity there. And crucially, it's in the diary. There's not just that vague, give me a call. Oh, 
I hate that, don't you? G- give me a call. What does that mean? Give me a give me a call. It's a way of fobbing people off, isn't it? Give me a call next week. See if we're ready to talk to you. Well, guess what? Spoilers, we're probably not, because it's a way of fobbing someone off. If they're serious about talking to you, they will book something in their calendar there and then. And if they won't do that, the chances are high that they are not serious. So, eight networking events, lots of breakfasts, lots of talking to people, three hot leads, and they have generated a brand new client out of those three hot leads worth £7,000 of monthly recurring revenue. In US money, that's around about, let's say about $9K, $9,000 of monthly recurring revenue. Was that a useful use of their time? I would say so, yes, wouldn't you? Eight meetings, three hot leads, one new client. Now, what I don't want is for you to say, ah, oh, there's, the, there's the magic formula. All I've got to do is go to eight meetings. All I've got to do is talk to, get three hot leads and I'll get a really juicy client out of it. I suspect it's not going to be quite as easy as that for you. I say this not to give you an idea of numbers because, of course, we don't know the type of events they went to. We don't know what kind of businesses were there. We don't know how much work they had to do to actually reel in that. Uh, 8,000, excuse me, that's 7,000 pounds of monthly recurring revenue. I suspect quite a lot of work. My point was this, networking, like any type of marketing, can work really, really well for you, really well, if you throw yourself at it. And I see so many MSPs doing little bits of marketing here. I'll do a little bit of email, a little bit of LinkedIn, a little bit of something else. I'll go to one networking event. Oh, I didn't meet anyone interesting there. And actually, marketing doesn't work like that, especially B2B marketing and especially MSP marketing. MSP marketing has a very long sales cycle. The kinds of people who are one day going to become your clients are currently sat with your competitors, fearful of leaving them because better the devil you know. They know technology is important, but they don't understand that technology. Therefore, they're scared to switch to someone they don't know, and that might include you. It's a very, very slow sales cycle for this and a number of other reasons. Networking is a great way to meet new people, but it is only the start of that. You've got to throw yourself into it. If you're going to do it, try it and give it a good long-term push. Now, as you can imagine, my client is very, very happy to keep doing networking, and I'm sure that... uh, for a period of time, that networking will become less efficient. But they've certainly had a good start from it to win one new client like that, and I would encourage them to get going. By the way, while we are talking about this, there was a, a side conversation which came up about getting stuck, stuck talking to the same person. Well, actually, it was two subjects. One was how to work a room, and the other was how to avoid getting stuck talking to the same person. And if you've been networking yourself, you may know that this is a problem, particularly if you're nervous and you're not a particularly confident person and you walk into this networking room and there's someone you meet the very first time and you shake hands and you've not met them before and they're nervous and you're nervous and you say, hi, hi, how are you? And three hours later, you're still talking to each other. You're stuck with each other. It's just you and that other person. And you kind of, you're looking at all these other people thinking, ah, I missed out on these people. What do I do? Well, actually, we've we've got one thing that we can do which combines both of these things. And it's very, very simple. You spend... 10 minutes talking to the person that you've met, but you talk exclusively about them. 
You see, there's a number of things that happen when you talk exclusively about someone else. So you go to a networking meeting, you shake their hand, hi, I'm, I'm Paul, what's your name? You're Dave, hi Dave, nice to meet you. What do you do, Dave? Dave tells you what he does and it's either a, a good uh, sort of a good explanation of what he does that he's bring to life or he bores you for five minutes telling you something, I'm an accountant and I like to do numbers and figures or whatever it is he says. But whatever it is he says, you then follow that up with a series of open questions about him and his business. And the more you ask about him and his business, the more fascinating you will be to him. It's kind of weird how that works. It's the opposite of how it should be. It should be that the more we talk about us, the more fascinating we should be, but actually that's not how it works. Brains are not wired that way. It's completely the opposite way. The more you talk about him and his business and ask him interesting questions, the more fascinating you become. And that is the challenge that is open to you. So you ask him about his business, of course you tell him what you do, but anytime he starts swinging the conversation back to him, you sw- back to you, sorry, you swing it back to him. And then you make a decision after 10 minutes. Is Dave, is this person I'm talking to worth continuing the conversation or is it time for me to move on? And if it is time for you to move on, here's what you can do. You can say, Dave, I've really enjoyed talking to you today. It's been fascinating. Shake my hand, shake, shake, shake. It's good to have the little sound effect there. Shake, shake, shake. And you say, I'm gonna go and meet someone new here and I'm sure that you want to do the same as well. Uh, Let's just swap business cards and perhaps uh, perhaps we can keep in touch. The point is, by talking to Dave about him and his business for so much, you have earned the right to terminate the conversation. Essentially, you've controlled the entire interaction here. Now, I'm talking about people that you meet for the first time. When you meet them the second, third, fourth time, it's not so easy to do this. But that first time, you can be completely in control of that interaction because you know the goal for you being here tonight is to meet 10 or 15 or 20 people, and you're not going to do that when you're stuck talking to Dave. So you kind of blitz Dave, learn as much as you can about him, and then you've earned the right to shake his hand, say, you're a fascinating guy, Dave. I'm so, so glad I bumped into you. So I'm going to go and meet some new people, uh, and I'm sure you want to do the same. Always make it seem aligned, like you're there for the same reason. Uh, Look forward to seeing you again soon. And that's it. You're off. Simple as that. So, is networking a big thing for your MSP? I'd love to know your experiences of it. Why don't you go into our Facebook group and let me and a whole load of other MSPs know what networking is like for you. It's the Facebook group. It's called MSP Marketing, and I'd love to hear your experiences in there. Here's this week's clever idea. Don't hate me but I'm gonna be one of the first to say it. Christmas is nearly here. I know, I know, we're only at the end of October, more or less, and it does seem like we've got two months, but we haven't, we've got about six and a half weeks, something like that. It's kind of crazy when you look at how fast Christmas sneaks up on you once you get to this time of year. Christmas is good because it leads on to New Year and January. And New Year in January presents you an opportunity to do something very cool, specifically to put your prices up for your existing clients. Now, I love price rises. Ironically, not with my MSP Marketing Edge service. It is still the same price today as it was when we launched it in 2016. It's £99 um, a month plus VAT in the UK and 129 US dollars everywhere else in the world. 
a uh, bit of a warning. We can sign a klaxon warning. In January, February, we are going to increase the prices for new members. So if you want to lock that price in now, go and have a look at mspmarketingedge.com. I just sneaked in a sneaky advert there. You didn't even know that I'd done it. Anyway, I might not love price rises for my service. We're playing a bigger game. We're playing a subscription, not a bigger game, a different game. We're playing a subscription game where we have, I mean, we've got 700 plus MSPs. It's a little bit different to the MSP game that you're playing where you might only have 10 or 20 or 30 clients. And actually you've got to grow their revenue in order to grow your own revenue. So January gives us a massive opportunity to do this. And one of the opportunities in January is to do kind of like a hidden price rise. Now there are a number of different ways that you might do this. Here's one that I like. You can email your clients or write to them on some dead tree or talk to them in person, whichever you feel most comfortable with. Some MSPs prefer email, some MSPs prefer to have this conversation in real life. And you can say to them, not well, you can either just say we're putting our prices up because it's another year and it's our annual price rise. But I think sometimes you need to be a bit smarter with that, especially now where we're in this still in this kind of cost of living crisis. Everything is so expensive. The economy is still a bit. Yeah, you know, it's not like we are full on in good times like we will be again in about three, four years time because everything is cyclical. The economy is a permanent cycle of up and down and up and down. No, instead, what we could do right now is we could just do a sneaky price price rise, a clever hidden price rise. And the easiest way to do that is just to tell your existing clients that you are upgrading them to the 2024 plan. Now there is a certain amount of fluff and packaging to this, but let me explain what I'm thinking. So you've got your current 2023 plan. And what I mean by plan is actually stack, except we're not going to use the word stack with clients because they don't know what a stack is. To them, a stack is for pancakes. They don't understand what it is to have a stack, uh, uh, whatever it is stack you've got, your security stack or you're just your stack stack. I've said the word stack too many times now. So we're going to use the word plan. And you can write to your clients and you can say, we are automatically upgrading you to our 2024 plan. Dear client, uh, uh, for, for the last uh, three months or so, you've been benefiting from our very latest protection and our very latest plan at no cost to you. Uh, we've upgraded you to this uh, for your own protection and for our own protection because it includes the latest security products. Uh, as of the 10th of February or whatever date you pick, uh, we will now be shifting your pricing over to that 2024 plan. And all you're doing with this is you're putting your prices up. You, you're not saying to them it's going up by a percentage. It's as we say, it's like it's like a it's like an upgrade to their plan. And we'll talk about what happens if they don't want to upgrade in a second. We will come back to that. But you say to them, and you, you need to kind of put some justification in. So you might say to them, without getting too much into detail, and certainly not naming vendors, that's never a good idea, and they don't know who they are anyway. But you might say to them, in the last year, with the rise of AI, uh, we've seen a huge proliferation, that's a good word, huge proliferation in the amount of AI spam. So we've upgraded your email filters. We've also seen more AI-driven phishing attempts. You explain what phishing is to them. So we've upgraded your protection on that. Essentially, as, as you buy in new things in your security stack and you add those in, which you're probably just doing anyway, there comes a point where you need to catch up, isn't there? Where the clients need to start paying for these services that you've bought over the last year. That's the opportunity that's coming up. And that's what you do to them. So you say to them, you've been on the 2024 plan for a few months, enjoying that while we get it all settled down and your pricing will increase on the 10th of February uh, to reflect that and to reflect the enhanced investment that we have made into your business. 
So some of them, well, many of them will just go, okay, with this, they just see a price rise, they understand that a price rise is coming. You've actually linked the price rise to an increase in performance, to an enhancement to their plan. That's fine, everything's cool, it's all good in the hood, but there will always be some who don't want to have that price rise and you do give them the option to opt out. And what you say to them is, if you don't want to upgrade to the 2024 plan, please can you book a 10 minute call with me where we can just talk through the security implications of that and uh, and, and you know I, we, we can discuss what's best for your business. Rest assured, uh, we uh, you know if you want to stay on your current plan, your current price point, then you can do that. And you give them your link to your calendar. Now the reason you give them a link to a calendar and don't just say to them hit reply or something like that is we want to give them a hoop to jump through. The ch we're not talking here about raising prices for the sake of it. We're talking about them paying you back for the stack that you've improved. You may put a, a bit of a hidden price rise in there and actually increase your prices as well. But essentially, we're talking about getting your clients to pay for the extra protection that you have gone out and got for them. So let's not make it too easy for them to hit reply and go, no thanks. And as far as they're concerned, that's the end of it. Let's get them on a call. And when you get them on that call, you need to talk them through all the all the different things, why you've put things in place, how it benefits them, what the downsides are of not improving it. If they, at this point, most people will just go, yeah, yeah, okay. Okay, you've got my back. I get that. I completely understand that. Thank you. We'll take the price. It's, it's annoying. Things are tough at the moment, but we'll take the price hit. And that's what you're kind of looking for. But you will now and again get some people who still say no. And this is the point where you can ask them to sign a disclaimer. Now, this disclaimer we're going to ask them to sign has no legal power. It's not something you would ever use in court. But what it is, is a psychological tool that will show them they're about to make a big mistake. That's very exciting. So this disclaimer, and we actually give one to our MSP Marketing Edge members. I just got another advert in. Uh, this disclaimer, uh, it's it's uh, something which you put in front of them and you talk it through with them. And you say, right, uh, please, can we, can we just run through this? And, and I'm going to record this call. So I got your acceptance of it, and then I'm going to ask you to e-sign it. So do you accept that by not coming onto the 2024 plan, uh, you're, you're leaving your email, you, you've got less than advanced security for your email, less than advanced phishing protection, blah, 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 blah. And you just take them through all these things. And then you send it to them, and this is critical. This is the most important bit with a disclaimer. You ask them to e-sign it, or if you're physically in front of them, you ask them to sign it. Why? because that is the point their brain goes, whoa there, horsey, what's he asking me to, what's she asking me to sign? And anytime someone's asked to sign something, they are committing to something. And that's the point their brain kind of goes, whoa, hang on, stop, what is this? Read this through, what are the implications of this? I am signing, particularly if you had a little, little bit of text at the bottom that says, uh, by signing here, I accept, I, I, um, I confirm that I've uh, have, have denied an upgrade to the 2024 security plan, and, and I, I accept all of the, uh, the risks to my business as detailed above. As I say, no legal ramifications of that whatsoever. A lawyer would probably laugh that out of court. I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. Don't get on well with lawyers. But you get the idea. It's a psychological tool to make them look at this and say, do you know what? Maybe, maybe these guys are right. Maybe because we're serious about business, maybe we should just go with that 2024 plan. Paul's, Paul's blatant plug. Blatant plug.
Do I deserve another blatant plug? Do I really? I've already mentioned the MSP Marketing Edge and I've already mentioned the Facebook group, but let me tell you a little bit more about that because it is a free resource for you. You can hang out with a thousand or so other MSPs, people just like you who are interested in growing and marketing their business and it's completely free. It's a vendor-free zone as well. There's just me and MSPs there and we just talk about marketing and growing your business. If you want to get in, grab your phone, tap on Facebook, go to the search bar, type in MSP Marketing, go to Groups and you're looking for the MSP Marketing Group on Facebook. Join that and I look forward to having a talk to you there and helping you grow your business. The Big, big, big Interview Hey, Paul, thanks for having me. Uh, Scott McCready, CEO, founder of Soul Cyber. I've been in the security space for almost my entire career. Was an engineer by trade, uh, but have spent most of my time in managed security services. And I'm so excited to have you on the show, Scott, because I, I'm always looking for unusual guests. I should probably say interesting guests. Interesting <laughs> and unusual guests who have done cool things that uh, ordinary people like myself, the owners of MSPs, haven't done. And you've had a, a pretty amazing career. And then uh, the last few years, you've been very focused on building your own business, but not uh, in the bootstrap way that, that many of us build our businesses. You've gone out and you've done some serious fundraising. And we're going to explore that later on in the interview. Let's first of all, just talk about your career. So give us a sort of a, a brief history of, of what you've done, some of the cool businesses that you've worked for, and some of the stuff that you've learned along the way. Yeah, sure. Uh, as I mentioned, I was an engineer by trade. So when I came out of university, I was setting up networks and security uh, infrastructure. And at the time, there wasn't clarity on what to do with the information coming out of the new security components. So these were back in the days of early firewalls and early intrusion detection systems. And so I had a job at EDS and I started building what would become a SOC. But at the time, it was just a place to consume the data um, and we'd put it into the NOC. I then got hired by um, a company that ended up becoming Symantec's MSSP business. And at the time, it was about the only MSSP company out there. Um, there were a couple others that came on soon after. Uh, and uh, I just got super lucky. I got the opportunity to get sent to Sydney uh, to build out the Asia Pacific and Japan business, build a stock in Sydney, one in Tokyo. Um, and then we had one in India as well. Spent four years in Sydney, and uh, as everyone uh, likes to tell me, it was a very rough assignment, but somehow I managed to uh, fight my way through uh, living in Australia. And then uh, went back and ran the global MSSP business out of DC, uh, and then went to a pre-IPO uh, FireEye, pre-Mandian acquisition, then the Mandian acquisition happened and built their MSSP business. And uh, it's been a great career, and it's really been interesting to see both the changes, but also the fact that there's in a way, there also hasn't been that much change since the original models that we set up 20 years ago. And what, what do you mean by that? Because obviously, I mean, I've, I've only been in the MSP world since 2016, and even I've mm -hmm. seen huge amounts of change in, in the, 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 I guess, the threat landscape and how much activity there is. Those models that you put in place 20 years ago, are they, are they broadly still the same models now? Could you explain that a bit more? Yeah, sure. So the model that we had 20 years ago was something along the lines of, um, and at the time it was only large, large companies that cared, is they would go out and pick out their security technologies. Uh, they would impl implement, uh, test them, implement them, you know, buy them, uh, and then take the data feeds from them and ship them off to somebody like us at Symantec. And so it was a very alerting focus model which was we see data, we correlate the data, we look for when something nefarious is happening. And then we'd send these alerts to the customers that would say, this is really, really bad. We think this is bad. We're not sure. 
this is informational, and the customer would have to work their way through these alerts. Believe it or not, that model has not changed that much in 20 years. And that's part of the problem is if you're anybody besides, you know, a super large bank, it's really hard to work your way through uh, all these security alerts. And so you've got 4,500 vendors out there, you know, a thousand seat company has to figure out which ones to buy, purchase, ship those pieces of data off to the MSSP and the MSSP sends alerts back. And then that customer has to consume those alerts and do something with them. And that model is still basically in place 20 years later. And, you know, part of the reason why we're doing what we're doing is we think that model is probably going to change a lot over the next five years. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So there's three things I want to talk about from from this point on. And what your product is and what it does is the final thing we're going to talk about, if that's okay. Because I, 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 mm-hmm. I, I know sure. a lot of MSPs listening will be very interested and also almost slightly cautious of, oh my goodness, is there really another product? Uh, but I know that that's actually, <laughs> the, you're hoping that to be the answer to, to that problem. So we're going to leave that till the end. Before that, I want to talk about the decision that you made to start your own business, to to create your own uh, solution, and then I want to talk about the funding of it. So, where where were you working, and what were you doing when you first had this this idea, and how how did that idea come up, and how did you start to flesh it out? Yeah, so the idea we actually um, are we call ourselves a security program subscription, and it has MSSP and MDR it has all these pieces. And we can talk about that here in a bit. But the idea actually started way back at Symantec because at the time, we couldn't do much to help the customer. So when there was a problem, we would, we would, it would be on the customer to really go out and try to validate it and then hunt it down and then solve it. And this was back in the day of what we just like AV. And there was no tool in AV that you could, that the MSSP could use to impact the customer in a positive manner. And so, um, when we went to FireEye, you know, we were starting to get into the EDRs, which was um, which had the capability to at least do something if there was a problem, versus just relying on the AV to solve a problem. And that that was the whole reason for leaving uh, Semantic was this idea was how do we build the next generation MSSP that would allow for um, an easier time by customers to solve the problem when there was something bad happening. And that's really where the, the germination of the idea. Then if you fast forward it, um, you know, five or six years to what we're doing now, the tooling and the technology in the market now enables us to actually build and deploy a security program um, that allows for, for this sort of 360 uh, capability of both deployment, detecting the problem, and then solving the problem for the customer. So it's much less alerting and much less, hey, we fixed this problem. We kicked the bad guys out. Uh, go about your day. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I also love the fact we can hear, is it one of your dogs in the background that's uh, that's chewing a squeaky toy? You know, it's funny because he has been passed out all day long and he's very, very quiet 90% of the time. But lo and behold, when you get on a podcast, that's when he decides that I love it. his uh, chew toy is very important. To him. I love it. Come on, Daddy, it's time for walkies. Stop talking to boring people. Let's get on with it. <laughs> that's exactly it. <laughs> so in, um, in his classic book, The E-Myth Revisited, which I'm sure you've read, Michael Gerber describes something called uh, the entrepreneurial seizure, which is where you're working for someone else and you suddenly realize you've, you've got to start your own business. And from that point on, it's an obsession. And, you know, the vast majority of people listening to this mm-hmm. have acted on that obsession as as you did. So for you, you've explained that it obviously it, it was a germ of an idea. It was there for a number of years. Had you reached the end of something and this was the right moment to, to flesh it out? Or did you end up leaving something to, to go and explore this new idea? 
It really, it's one of those things for me anyways, it was a very like serendipitous like type situation. So our primary investor is a company called Forge Point Capital. They were looking to invest and build an MSSP. I had uh, this idea of the security program subscription of which the MSSP is the central central piece, but there's all these other components. And so their desire to build one and my desire to bring one to market was really just great timing. So they were willing to, to step in earlier than what you would traditionally see inside of a fundraising, almost like an incubation type model, because they were really bought in on the idea that this services uh, led motion was going to be wildly different over the coming five or six or seven years, of which, of course, I was in, in agreement on that as well. And if you could find the right model, you really had a chance to transform the industry and obviously have, have some good business success along the way. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So you mentioned the funding. Um, you know, obviously, it doesn't sound like you were out there doing what everyone in Silicon Valley seems to do, which is go out there and do presentation after presentation and 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 raise a ton of money. Was it still quite a stressful experience for you? I mean, I, I guess you you have essentially put your entire ownership of the business on the line in order to raise the money to build the business in the first place. It is. And I've actually done some fundraising with the previous company as well. And so this whole standard process of building out the business pitch, uh, selling it, really a high level of due diligence by the VC community is, is not a trivial. It's a lot of work and it's pretty daunting. And there's this weird mix where it's like it's easy, it's, it's hard right up until enough people get interested or you get enough momentum, then it becomes easy. Right? It's like nobody wants to be the first, but everybody, but no one wants to be the last either. And so, you know, with Soul Cyber, obviously an easier process for sure. Um, but you're still giving up a lot for the opportunity because you can always go <laughs> go work. You know, when you've been around the block for a long time, you can always go work for a big company and they'll they'll compensate you well. And so you're always having this trade off. But on the other and 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 it's like there you you sort of live in this this mental state of excitement on one day and just like um, you know terror the next day that you're going to you know it's going to fall apart and so. Um, obviously, business has been good. So, uh, but it, this up and down motion is definitely different than than in a traditional job. Uh, that being said, you can't. You also can't really beat it, right? I mean, the the chance to build something from scratch and make your own and put your thumbprint on it is an opportunity that's just fantastic. So, I've loved it, but it has been a challenge. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Yeah, and I have to say, as a, as a small business owner, where you know this is my second business that I've built from from an idea in a spare bedroom to to you know a, a not massive business, but certainly a, a a nice profitable business that gives me a nice lifestyle. Um, even I, and I'm sure every MSP, every business owner listening to this, has days where you think the whole thing is going to collapse, <laughs> it's all going to go wrong, right. and you have other days where you're absolutely on a high, and it's it's the roller coaster of, of business ownership. I think you you just have uh, probably higher stakes uh, uh, than we do. So let's talk about the product then. Tell us, tell us about yep. Soul Cyber and and what what was the you, you mentioned earlier that you you started to create it because there were too many security solutions out there. So what what what's the pitch for Soul Cyber and what are you hoping that you'll be able to do with it? So um, if you think about a security program for a company, and and this is we we support companies at you know a hundred employees and we support companies in the tens of thousands. But the tricky bit is three actual pieces. So one is this, and this is super boring, like nobody really wants to talk about this next thing, which is the concept of operations, which is how do you run a dang security like operations consistently, repeatably, and effectively? So you have to have this concept of operations on how you run the business. Then you have to have the right tools right, in the right locations to detect 
all the all the different threat types. So you need to be able to detect like if something malicious put is put on a machine. But you also need to be able to detect if somebody hacks Scott McCrae's username and password and is just logged in as me and hasn't done anything malicious yet. They're just roaming uh, the network as me. And then the third thing is you actually have to have smart people that can actually put all that information together when something bad's happening, recognize it, and then respond, like actually fix the problem, kick the bad actors out. And that three-step process isn't in place. We call it a security program. And the customers have two choices. They either build it all themselves um, they go through the, and buy all the tools themselves, and then they get an MSSP that sends them alerts. That's this traditional model. Or there's something that we think that almost everybody's going to end up probably doing in the future, which is a security uh, program subscription. And we use all the tools that anybody else uses, so it's not like Scott McCready's endpoint tool. So we all what, we do, what we've done is we've taken the tools that we've used in Fortune 500 companies, and we've integrated them all together, into a into an integrate, integrated hung together stack, right? We sell that with the MSSP and the MDR capabilities and the response and the detection, and we sell that all per user per month. And so, as a customer, they can either work their way through the forty five hundred vendors, pick out the ones they think they need. They maybe are right, maybe they're wrong. Go get an MSSP, or and then pay up front for each of those pieces, or they can use us. And the easiest analogy is like cloud migration ten years ago, like. I mean, everybody had like a thousand Dell servers and you have a data center and you have bandwidth and you got a bunch of engineers that run it and you got software and you have an orchestration layer. And now, obviously, most people use the cloud uh, and then you just manage the cloud. It's a very similar concept to us, which is you can go build a security program yourself, but why? Right. It's not core to what you do as a company. Outsource that get an outcome and move on to get back to making the widget or the service that is important and supporting your customers. And that's really what SoulCyber is. And, and we work great with MSPs. Which is exactly what we want to hear. So Scott, thank you so much for your time on this, uh, for sharing the story about the terrifying idea of raising so much money to build a business. Just tell us how we can learn a little bit more about the business and how can we get in touch with you? Uh, easy. Scott at SoulCyber.com. Uh, SoulCyber.com is the website. Uh, and for your MSP audience out there, um, we, we love partnering with MSPs. We have a lot of them. We're very partner friendly. We've built channels. Uh, so we're very familiar with what um, you all want and uh, what you don't want. Um, and so if anybody's looking for um, a really great security partner, uh, we have lots of deals that we send to our MSP partners. We'd love to uh, have a conversation. Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast. This week's recommended book. I'm Emmanuel Rose, author of Authenticity, Marketing to Gen Z. And since Paul won't let me recommend my own book, I'm going to recommend anything by Jay Abraham because he will show you how to take your existing customer base and triple your net profit in a very short amount of time. Coming up, Coming up next week. Hey, everyone. I'm Mariana Henninger. I am obsessed with brand videos and the most amazing, powerful things that they can do for your business and building that emotional connection with your customer. So join me on the podcast to hear all about brand videos. And on top of that interview next week, we're going to be talking about holidays and how important it is for you, the owner or the manager of the MSP, to take proper holidays. In fact, I believe you need to put the holidays in your calendar for next year and then protect those holidays from everything. In fact, this is critical for both you and for the health of the business as well. I'll tell you more next week. Join me next Tuesday and have a very profitable week in your MSP. 
Made in the UK. For MSPs around the world. Paul Green's MSP. MSP Marketing Podcast.